Welcome to North Georgia Business Radio. I'm your host, Bo Henderson, here with Dr. Bill Lampton. How's it going, Dr. Bill? Fine, and I'm still thinking, Bo, about the terrific time we had with the Chamber of Commerce event last week. Well, let's talk about that. That was an interesting topic I, I thought that we were asked to do, is growing your brand and your business through community involvement. And as I got into the research and the stats, I couldn't believe how much of an impact the things a business is involved with in the community impacts what the the customers buy into and want to be a part of, and even the employees that you hire. Uh, Some of the stats were, I believe one of them was 82% of employees consider uh, a company's community involvement when they make the decision on where to work. Yes, and I, I also think that the program had special meaning because of our three guests that we interviewed. They've been guests on our North Georgia Business Radio X, and so we knew about their community involvement and their success in their business. So it was great to have three of them let us interview them there for a few minutes. That's right, and get real-life examples instead of just me and you talking about it. Right? Much better, right. Yeah, but that's a theme we've seen in doing this now with, with really dozens of business owners so far is that a lot of uh, – what makes our community go around is is these people giving back, being involved in the community in a number of ways. It's so interesting that I, I suppose decades ago people would think that the way to succeed in business is to point everything toward yourself. But we've found that those with charitable, philanthropic, uh, service attitudes, they ironically are the ones who come out on top. Well, think about some of the big business examples. You see this, the one I think of is Tom's Shoes. They're not really pretty shoes, but because they send a pair of shoes to somebody that wouldn't otherwise have shoes every time you buy a pair, their business has been tremendously successful. So people want, they want to buy and, and be a part of something they believe in, I think. Yes, and we also see companies and all the national disasters that we've read about and seen on television recently. We've seen companies who come to their assistance as well that's right so it's what we do what we give back but let's let's move on to talking about more great companies in our community and that's the mission here on north georgia business radio x we're going to talk about who's out there raise awareness for the business owners the businesses that we have and let's just let's just let the community know who they are and what they're doing why don't you start with our first guest i'm delighted to welcome our first guest jeff lawson who's a commercial real estate appraisal company, Jay Lawson and Associates. And I'll tell you, Bo, I'm very comfortable with Jeff here, but he really intimidates me on the golf course. I was going to say, I heard some golf stories going on. So I don't know, he's probably seen you in rare form. Yes, now we're not going to use golf language on this program, <laughs> though. Okay. Jeff Lawson, commercial real estate appraisal company, Jay Lawson and Associates. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Bill. You know, Jeff, um, there are not many of us, I suppose, who are familiar with your line of work. And so from what I would guess, it's not something that you just step into after a two-week correspondence course or, or a weekend seminar. What kind of preparation do you go through to be an appraiser at this high a level? Well, after graduating from college, I'm starting my 37th year of uh, being in the real estate valuation profession. Uh, But mostly uh, there is educational component to it, of course. I've done the vast majority of my education through the Appraisal Institute. Uh, But but training and experience um, are the backbone of the business. 
Uh, you can't really teach somebody to appraise out of a book. Um, you have to uh, bring them in, train them, let them see how the market's working in real time to be able to understand how to value properties. Well, that's one of the questions I had, Jeff, when we talk about this. How much of it would you say is objective, pretty straightforward? Here's how you how you value this. And how much of it's more that subjective just by the experience and, hey, I know how to do this because I know the area. I mean, how much of that? And I, I could see that being a really hard thing to train another person to do. Well, that, that's a great question. Um, there's something in, in our uh, standards and ethics called the competency provision. And the competency provision is, is twofold. Number one, it says that you need to uh, be competent uh, with the property type you're actually valuing because all commercial properties have different in- methods of income and different methods of expenses. But the second component to that and often overlooked is the co- is the competency in the geographic market that you're working in. Um, you need to know the various things that make that market tick. Um, and, and sometimes it can, it, it can be just patterns in traffic that you really can't tell unless you live in that area or serve that area. I would guess that in addition to the initial training that you had, that it's an ongoing, continuing education process as well. It, it is. Uh, we have a kind of a saying in, in the appraisal business that nobody really likes to look at their last year's appraisal work. Uh, because if you look at your last year's appraisal work and you don't say, you know, I'm better than that now, then you really haven't accomplished um, uh you know, we, we ha- also have appraisers in the state of Georgia have to have 14 hours of continuing education uh, each year. And every two years, we have to uh, have seven hours of our uniform standards of professional appraisal practice uh, as well to keep our license in the state. Well, it's like a lot of businesses that I run across, Jeff. It sounds like people ask me, who, who should I work with? I run across this in the retirement planning business. I say one of the first things I look for is experience. If somebody's been there 15, 20, 25, 30 years, that means they're probably doing something right, and they've probably seen a lot of the things a hundred times that's similar to your situation. I think that's true 90, 95% of the time, of course. Uh, if you, it, it, it really depends on who you get your experience under. I think you'd probably agree. If you work with, with somebody that's very competent, um, I had the, the, the fortunate pleasure of working with the number one company in, in Atlanta uh, from 1990 to 1993. And uh, I wouldn't be where I am today or have accomplished near as much uh, without those individuals that kind of molded me and taught me. Um, and then, you, you know, 30 years of, of bad experience is bad experience. So right. you have to kind of gauge what you're learning uh, if you're trying to grow in any business and make sure that you're learning from those you consider to be the best in the field. I like what you're saying about having mentors and those who can really show you the business quite early on. I One of my favorite, I have many Mark Twain favorite sayings, but one of his that I like so much, he was talking to someone, and the man said, you know, I'm a self-made man. And Mark Twain said, well, that relieves the Lord of a great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> every one of us in professional life, and I'm sure every guest that we have, has one or two or three or four or five people who are the key to their success, as you're saying. Now, switching topics here, Jeff, I noticed on your resume that you worked in the banking arena. What what was that all about? Well, I started in 1983, um, which was uh, a financial empire in this city, uh, Home Federal Savings and Loan, back in 83, and I worked for a subsidiary uh, in the residential 
uh, arena uh, doing residential houses and, and residential land. Um, and, and then in 1990, had the fortunate, um, through Martha Simmons, who worked there, her name, she's married now, but, but um, got me where I was able to train in Atlanta. And they sent me to Atlanta from February of 1990 to May of 1993 to learn from, uh, like I said, the top firm that time uh, in, in, in the city of Atlanta. And uh, in fact, um, just as a side note, one of those gentlemen that I worked for was my partner from July 2002 to 2013. And so that was, that was a pretty neat, um, you know, pretty neat uh, company. Well, from the, the bank review business and the appraising you're doing now, were there any stops along the way, or was that kind of the transition? Well, I did appraising up until 1993. Okay. Uh, residential for most of, the, most of that time, and then the last three years, commercial. Um, and in 1993, um, I took a job at First National Bancorp, which was a, a company, a holding company that owned 21 banks, 18 banks in Georgia and three in Florida, and I started an appraisal review department for them. And, and then in 1995, uh, Regions Financial Corporation came in and purchased First National Bancorp, mm -hmm. and I was fortunate enough to be able to stay on, um, and I was able to start Regions Financial Corporations, which is based out of Birmingham's appraisal mm -hmm. review department. And I stayed there from 1995 until July of 2002. Uh, and, it was, and, and I will tell you that, that reviewing appraisals, you turn them over a lot quicker. In other words, you can only do so many, but you can review a lot more in a, in a year-long period than you can do. And not only that, but you also get to see other appraisers and how they conduct their analysis and valuation. And it's, it, it really was a blessing. I didn't really realize it at the time how much I learned in the review business. Uh, I, I learned exponentially. I feel like in the review business as, a, as opposed to just being an appraiser and focusing on those properties that I appraised each year. So all these things have added to the, the skill set of what you're doing today. That's right. Um, the other thing that, that um, I was blessed is my former partner got me into the teaching arena in 1990. I taught for many years for the Georgia Real Estate or Georgia Institute of Real Estate, which is the education arm of the Atlanta Board of Realtors. I transitioned in to become a national faculty member of the Appraisal Institute, um, and I've taught um, many, many adults. Uh, that as well, uh, anybody that's taught a class knows that there's a lot of preparation mm -hmm. that goes into that, and, and you actually learn being an instructor. Isn't that funny? You have to learn something to teach it. That's exactly <laughs> right. I always have to go back over because there's things that I have to teach that I may not experience on a day-in, day-out basis. And there, there was something that uh, you were doing with the state of Georgia. What was that? Well, I, I've got a couple of things. Number one, uh, in May of 2013, uh, I was appointed to a five-member board by Governor Nathan Dill, uh, which is called the Georgia Real Estate Appraisers Board. Um, and, and we oversee the licensing uh, portion uh, of all appraisers in the state of Georgia. And uh, so I've sit on that board. I'm now co-chair. I just signed up for another five years about a year ago, so I have another four years remaining. Um, and I also, uh, along the state line, am a prime contractor for the Department of Transportation. Um, and, and so I hire a lot of employees to 
uh, do eminent domain work. Well, Jeff, I got a two-part question here. So part one, who's your client now? Who's this person you serve? And then part two, what services really do you offer to that person or that client or that business? Well, as far as the the client types, um, financial institutions would be one, uh, attorneys, uh, city, county, and state government, um, because they're active with roads and utilities and uh, the school board. Uh, I've done work for the school board. Uh, Utility companies uh, like Georgia Power, uh, Georgia Transmission, um, hospitals, uh, colleges and universities. You've got a pretty wide range. It's a pretty wide range. You know, and of course, there's always the common thread, which is investors and developers and, and uh, you know, those kind of clients. Uh, also work for insurance companies on diminution of value. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes if something happens uh, to the property, uh, how much, whatever happens, whether it be a foundation crack or it could be something as interesting as, as, as somebody was murdered in the house wow. and, and, you know, has a stigma attached to it, uh, you know, how much that would wow. result in a loss of that. Right. It's, it's not easy to factor that in. Getting back to your teaching experience, I know that you have written a book. What Did that come out of your teaching? Was it an, an instructional book? It was. Um, the Appraisal Institute used to have introductory manuals on teaching the first 75 hours that are required to be state licensed. They decided to not produce those materials anymore. And the Georgia Institute of Real Estate came to uh, Carl Schultz, Dennis Carr, and myself to write a textbook. We wrote a textbook uh, and taught that at the Georgia Institute of Real Estate. That transitioned and was purchased by Dearborn Publishing and Kaplan Publishing out of Chicago and was distributed nationally uh, for many years. Um, and uh, so they, they, you know, had to review the book quite a bit. And that, that was that was kind of um, at, at some point was a little more than I wanted to do. But um, but it was very interesting. Again, I learned a lot doing the book doing my research so you got to know it if you write the book on it that's that's true that's <laughs> Bo true. has written nine books uh, i told somebody the other day he's written more books than some people have read well to be fair they're not as technical as what jeff's talking about there so a couple maybe but not not for the most part writing a book is exhausting it's a process it really, <laughs> it is. really is well let's talk about this a couple couple of terms um that i think is important for our listener to know cost and market value what's that connection what's important there well, with regard to cost and market value, uh, cost, of course, is a known fact. And, and, and value is more of an opinion. And so I look at value as being more of an art, and, and cost being a fact would be more of a science. Um, and most, most uh, investors and property owners, cost is what they know, and they relate value to cost. But, but in essence, cost and value very rarely equal. Um, of course, uh, there's, there's sometimes that cost will exceed value. Like the time my wife and I decided that we would buy a swimming or build a swimming pool for our children, I knew being an appraiser that I would never get that money out, but I weighed that with the enjoyment of, of it. Whereas if I was an investor trying to make money on a certain project, I would never uh, entertain a project where I felt like I, if I spent a dollar, I would only get 80 cents back. Right. I would want to get a dollar and a half maybe. That's a good illustration. Yeah, so, so that market – so is it is it fair to say the value is what somebody would be willing to pay? Is that kind of a, a good way to look at it, or is it more 
a little broader than that. Well, that, that's true. Uh, one of the misconceptions out there uh, in, is if you list a property for a certain price, even if it's, it's over overpriced, eventually it will sell. Uh, that's a misconception. Uh, consumers are smarter than that. They they have this process called the process of substitution, and they don't even know they're doing it. But when you, when you look for a house, think about the first time you bought a house, and you looked at this house, and it was $100,000, and then you looked at this house, and it was one hundred and ten, and it might have had a little bit uh, uh, larger size or some uh, greater quality features than the other one. You looked at one, maybe it's 90, and you, you start you know, in your mind trying to put all that together. Uh, and eventually you make a decision, uh, and it is what you're willing to pay, but but you're not going to go out and find a house uh, that, that you could buy for 110. You're not just going to pay 130 somewhere else. You're going to have studied the market. Um, and have, have a good idea. Well, another another thing, this is just a curious question. So you've had you've had experience in both. Have you noticed any differences, or would you say what what is the difference between, say, more the residential appraising work versus doing the work for a business? Is it more emotional at one level, or any differences you see? Well, there's, there's vast differences, uh, and I like uh, areas of both. The residential business is far more emotional. It, it's far also far more... Um, there's, there's far more assignments that you do. A commercial appraisal takes longer than a single-family house. So whereas you might work on 10 houses a week, you may only work on one commercial property uh, a week. Um, and, and then, of course, there's the uh, enjoyment of, of being able to go into other people's houses and be able to see the, you know, the kind of things that they, they've done from a decorating standpoint or a quality and design standpoint. Um, you know, I had the I had the perfect house I was going to build from my years of a residential. I incorporated tons of ideas that I saw in other other houses that I had praised. the The commercial side, it, it, there's there's emotion in the commercial side, but it it it's much more complex. Um, the residential industry is much more uh, it's much easier to understand, uh, and 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 the average consumer is is far more uh, in in tune and and smarter about valuation than they are when you get into a commercial situation because every property generates its income from different sources and there's also uh, expenses that that are uh, different from say an apartment complex to a retail building right I'm curious, in what ways has your expertise in golf led to business? Not not as much as I had hoped. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I play in a, in, a, in a good number of charitable tournaments. Uh, I love this community. I've lived here 56 years. Uh, I've traveled all over the world. And uh, with, with the Kentucky golf team, a, a lot of places uh, in the United States, I found no place that I love any more than Gainesville. Uh, we really have it all here, um, and and so I, I play a lot of charity tournaments, uh, but I really uh, haven't done a lot of business on the golf course like I had hoped. Well, one thing that uh, you've indicated, it is a magnificent golfing community. It is. We're blessed with the golf courses and in and, and, and this community. Well, just from hearing Bill's stories, it has to help with patience a little bit. It has to teach you a little bit of patience, no? Well, I, I can I can speak for myself. I think golf teaches uh, 
uh, tremendous life lessons. And, and uh, I had a son that uh, rose to fourth in the, in the state of Georgia years ago and wow. went on a golf scholarship to UAB. Uh, so I've been involved in it from the teaching standpoint, but also I, I went through it as a as a young man. And uh, it's rare to see somebody that comes out that's really excels in golf that doesn't excel in business because right. it 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 teaches you it teaches you patience, but not after not after uh, teach, learning yourself. Right. You know, your parents can tell you, look, you need to be patient. Until you realize being impatient makes your golf scores go higher, uh, right. you may you have to learn that on your own. But uh, dedication, hard work, patience, those kind of things I learned all while playing golf. One of the connections that I've seen between business and golf is if you're going to hire somebody from your company, you're a golfer and they're a golfer, take them out for 18 holes. That's one of the very best tests are they uh, kind to the people they play with? Do they praise the people that they play with when they hit good shots? Uh, do they throw clubs? Do they cheat on their score? There's plenty you can tell about how someone will behave in business if you're on the golf course with them. I think that, that there's no truer words uh, spoken than those. I, um, I've, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, watching my child play. And, and lessons that I had to teach my child because, you know, when you're 8, 9, 10 years old, oftentimes they know no better than to cheat, and they can't count very well. Um, and and uh, I've had, you know, I had to have some conversations with my son, say, well, you let him put down an 8 when he really had a 10. And I remember my son saying one day, well, you know, Dad, it doesn't really matter. I'm beating this kid by 20 strokes. I said, well, it does matter. I said, because there's other people in the tournament, and you've got to protect the integrity right. of the field. This, by this, this uh, young man or young lady taking less on their scorecard than they actually had, they may beat somebody that they shouldn't have beat. Legit, yeah. Let me illustrate that very quickly. When I was in college at a very small college, I was on the golf team. Maybe we only had four people there who played golf. <laughs> I don't know, but we were playing in the Mississippi Intercollegiate Tournament in Jackson, I still remember an incident where we came to the ninth hole. One of the players and I both hit our shots over by a fence. We get over there. We have just enough room to make a short backswing and try to chop the shot back to the fairway. Neither one of us got back to the fairway. He turned to me and said, we're not going to count that, are we? I said, what do you mean? He said, we're not going to count that. We're just going to pretend that didn't happen. And many times in seminars... With business people, I will say, do you think I would do business with that guy? No. Not then, not ever. All right. One thing that, that y'all said earlier that, that I, I would like to, I guess, piggyback on is one of the things I think is important as a businessman uh, or lady in, in, uh, when you own your own business is to, is to recognize that it is not about you. I, I go in every day. My goal is to make my employees successful. If I make my employees successful, guess what? You're going to win. I'm going to win. Exactly. But it, but if I try to do nothing but focus on myself, uh, I may win for a while, but eventually I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose good employees. Uh, and so, and, and I wish I could take the credit for thinking of that on my own, uh, but I, I had some mentors that used to tell me that. Uh, see me go down the wrong, you know, because golf is kind of an individual sport. Sometimes you can get focused on yourself. 
Um, but I had somebody tell me one time, you know, Jeff, this is what you need to do. You need to make your, your people, your employees, your associates successful. And then your by, uh, the byproduct will be that your company will be successful. And I never forgot that. Every top management book says the same thing. Well, you said some. You said that uh, most people hadn't read nine books. My wife will tell you I'm only on book six. <laughs> we'll get there. That's before next time you're on. We're going to see if you've done nine. Now, Jeff, one last thing I think is important for us to bring up for our listeners when we're talking about appraisals. Now, an appraisal is not an appraisal is not an appraisal. I think we should mention what's the importance of getting it right and how it could potentially impact things going forward or later down the road in the future. That's an excellent question. Um, you know, let's, let's just take uh, a financial transaction. Uh, most of the time when somebody purchases, whether it be a residence or a commercial property, this may be the largest single investment that they make in their lifetime. And uh, if you, let's, let's just, for example, say that you are buying a residence and you've looked around and you've got this residence under contract, but um, it's really above market and you have an appraiser that comes in. If you have a good appraiser that comes in that recognizes it's above market and they appraise it for a lower number, at least the borrower that or would have the opportunity at that time to end the transaction, or they may decide to, to go forward the transaction. But let's say that you, in the same example, that you have an appraiser that comes in and, and the property's under contract, so it must be worth that. Doesn't do as much analysis. Maybe they don't have as much training or experience as another person does. And they go ahead and give that higher sales price. The transaction closes. And then three or four years down the road, this young couple that has bought this house realizes they can't get out of it, uh, what they put in it. And I don't know about y'all, but when I was uh, – 20, 22 years old, I was, you know, robbing Peter and writing a bad check to Paul trying to, <laughs> trying to get in my first house. And, and if I had lost five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 at 22, that would be, had been a devastating thing. So, you know, a residential appraiser has a great deal of responsibility to the, to the public to get it right. Well, and I was going to say, you, you got to realize the job's not to make friends necessarily. It's, it's to, to be factual or do the best actual because i could see there being pressure hey everybody they're wanting this price to be able to get this deal done but it seems like i kind of remove some of that emotion out of it and say hey my job is to give you a real clear picture of what this is absolutely that's that, that's our goal is to uh to remain unbiased okay. we're an unbiased third party well jeff thanks so much well i do want to ask one more question um this is one that comes up a lot on this show so been doing this been around town a long time been doing business a long time one principle one thing that you'd say, hey, this has served me well, or I could call a key to success over the course of life and career. Anything comes to top of mind? Well, I, I think you got to, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I think it's just what I was instilled with with my parents. Right. I mean, I think you got to go back to the golden rule. Right. Uh, I, I like what Bill was saying about taking somebody to the golf course. It will uh, show your character pretty quick, but. I think treating your, you know, treating others like you want to be treated is very important. Uh, but I, but all, obviously, getting to know the right people that you can train under, and and getting as much knowledge, and never never sitting on your laurels, but but continue to expand. I used to tell my my uh, children around the supper table, look, you you can be good in anything you want to want to be good. You know, the, the 
part of success is to find something you enjoy and try to be as good as you can at it. I've got to throw in what uh, Mary Kay Ash said. Mary Kay, the founder of Mary Kay Cosmetics. In a book about her, I read that one of her favorite comments was, nothing wilts faster than a laurel that is set upon. I like that. <laughs> well, Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show, and thanks for sharing experience, wisdom. Somebody's out there listening, and they, they say, hey, there's an appraisal. I'm, I'm the kind of person he serves. What's the best way to find out more information, maybe connect with you? Is it the website? Let us know. Yeah, you can go to my website, which is www.jlawsonassociates.com. All right. Jeff Lawson with J. Lawson & Associates. Thanks so much for joining us today on North Georgia Business Radio X. Thank you guys for having me. All right, Bill. Now we're going to have another guest. Talk about switching gears. I'm trying to think of a good transition here, but I'm just going to bring her in. How about that? Do that. I've got Cecily Sharp. And she's coming to us from your CBD store, right? Yes. So, Cecily, welcome to the show. Welcome to North Georgia Business Radio X. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Now, first question, just give us the 10,000-foot the view. What's all this I'm hearing, all this buzz, and all this curiosity around CBD? And there is a lot of it. We get people into our store every day. The million-dollar question is, what is CBD? Well, CBD will not make you high. That's the first <laughs> thing I would like to let everybody know. CBD comes from the hemp plant. And the hemp plant is a relative to the marijuana plant, but they are not the same thing. A, a hemp plant has a lot of CBD occurring in it and a very small amount of THC. And THC is the component that makes you high. And that's where the difference is between the marijuana and the hemp plant. The CBD plant, or sorry, the hemp plant, which has the CBD, um, which are cannabinoids, are the healing properties or the uh, natural anti-inflammatories that people can um, take. And that's why this plant has so much hype about it, because people are finding incredible results by using it and taking it and even applying it. It doesn't have to be taken internally. Well, this, this is a curiosity of mine. Is, is there a story there? Was there an experience you had personally or what got you into wanting to explore this and even make a life business out of this? Sure, sure. Well, I've always been someone who wasn't really interested in taking a lot of over-the-counter or sorry a lot of pharmaceutical drugs because of all the side effects so I've always tried to look for alternatives that I can you know use that would be a more natural way maybe you know um, easier on the body not so many side effects and um, so I had read a lot about it um, but I hadn't actually taken any my father had and had been having some incredible results from it. And I was looking for a new opportunity and a friend of mine in South Carolina had just opened up a Your CBD store. And she started telling me about her first couple of days that she had gone through. And she said it was so exciting, but also exhausting. But she said the people that she felt that she was able to help was so incredible. And I'm like, 
I've got to find out more about this. And so I did, and I just started. And the next thing I knew, February, I opened my CBD store, a Your CBD store here in Gainesville. Is uh, CBD the initials for a compound? Yes, it is cannabidiol is the compound. And there's actually a numerous number, somewhere upward of 80 different cannabinoids occurring in a hemp plant. And where, where is this hemp grown? Well, all of the hemp that we use at this point in time is grown in Colorado, um, but there is hemp being grown all over the United States now. Um, most states are actually passing their own hemp bills and beginning to grow it um, within each individual state because they are finding there are so many benefits for people. So a question I think everybody wants to hear is, is let's, let's give some good examples or real examples of how is this, you know, what are some of the symptoms or some of the issues that this is really, you've seen helping people? Sure, sure. Right. So some of the things that, you know, we see every single day and, and we, we encourage people when they come into our store to please come back and, you know, share their stories. And so we've been collecting those since, you know, since we opened. Um, one of the first stories um, that I'm going to share is actually my um, employee that works in the store. She's got um uh, a disc issue with her back um, and has a lot of arthritis um, and was taking a lot of medications. She's been able to take uh, re- get off of those medications and now she's just taking CBD and applying some of the topical pain cream and having a lot more relief than she was before. Um, I've had um, some cancer patients come in with extreme nausea, and they've found that using our water-soluble CBD has helped a lot with um, that nausea because it's a little bit different of a way to, you know, process it. Uh, We have a lot of young people. This was something I had no idea of before I opened this business. So many young people are stressed. I mean, it's it's incredible and really sad. I mean, but it's just the world that we're living in, and they're looking for alternative ways to maybe have some, you know, relief. And they're getting better focus. They're getting less stressed. Um, and a lot of cases even happier because um, your uh, – the cannabinoids work with your adenosine gland, which helps to produce a lot of our happiness. I had a nurse uh, recently who's in the home health uh, service mention to me that there is a calming effect with CBD. And that is, that is very true. Um, it helps to relax our muscles and makes us feel calmer. One of the things that uh, we do when you come into our store is we have a sample of our water-soluble Um, And it is very fast acting. It gets into your system in about 10 minutes. And so people will, you know, drink a small glass of that. And then they'll, you know, talk to us and we'll go over the product. And then they'll be, wow, I, I don't feel as tense. I'm, I'm, I'm more relaxed. That part in my back isn't hurting anymore. Um, Or it's feeling a lot better. Now, are you running across any, um, I guess, any any negative pushback about thinking, not understanding what CBD is, or people thinking it's just not something helpful or even even sure. bad? 
Sure. Well, you know, the interesting thing is because, of course, we, you know, are in are in the South and in the Bible Belt, and a lot of people, there's a lot of, you know, bad connotation because people don't understand the difference between the hemp plant and the marijuana plant, and that you're not going to get high from taking CBD. Um, but those people don't really come to the store, or I haven't had any negative experiences. I mean, I've, I've had a few people bring people in and, you know, it may not be for them, but, you know, we don't want to push anything on anybody, of course. I mean, but we want to be able to help the people that are interested in and looking for a safe alternative. Well, it sounds like the key is doing exactly what you're doing today, Cecily. It's, it's educating the public and letting them knowledge is power, right? So maybe you understand, then you can make a decision for yourself. Exactly. And that's what we do when you come into our store. We go over everything and we talk about, which I didn't mention before, but there's actually two endocannabinoid systems in our body, CBD, CB1s and CB2 receptors. And so we're actually already producing some cannabinoids. We just don't produce enough. And that's why we don't have all the positive effects until we supplement it and get our system into something that we call homeostasis. And these are the things that we do to explain to people and show them how it could possibly work for them. Well, I think one of the the real attractions is we don't need a physician's approval. We don't need a prescription. We just walk in there. And that is very true. We do always recommend that you do have a conversation at some point with your physician, be before you come in or after you come in, if you are on an array of other medications, just because they know your situation and I'm not a doctor and nobody in my store is. And of course, we want you to have that conversation. Now, I have doctors that come to my store, and I actually have physicians now that are even sometimes, you know, referring people to come because they do feel that it would be a good alternative and their client could benefit or their patient could benefit. Now, what a testimonial is that, right? That is awesome. <laughs> and and maybe, maybe even there's room for both. Uh, def- behold, of right? course. Right. Of course there is. This isn't, you know, I mean, there are... This is a great alternative for for some people, not for everybody, and it's not going to work for everybody. As we know, not anything works for absolutely any, everybody because all of our bodies are different. But it's definitely something, if somebody's interested in, worth giving it a try. Now, Cecily, is there ongoing research and studies that are, are continuing to show, I'm guessing, with, with all the, the information we're seeing and all the buzz we're seeing, that we're seeing some good results in research that's showing some of this that you're that you're talking about. Uh, yes, definitely. There is information every single day coming out, new information, new studies, and the I am with um, your CBD store, and we are one of right now 500 dedicated brick and mortar stores in the United States, and we're growing. Um, we'll probably by the end of this year be close to 600. Uh, and we have an incredible um, chemist with his doctorate, and he's working with all of our products, but he's also now going to start trying to work with compiling information because there's nobody else out there really doing that. 
And so we're going to actually have an app coming out soon that we're going to make available for the people that shop with us so they can track some of their um, symptoms, how they're taking it, what they're using it for. And we're going to be able to use that information to hopefully also, you know, move further in how this is going to work for people and be able to make better suggestions going forward. Well, you talked about creams and you talked about the water-based, I believe. What what are different? Are, are there multiple ways? Is it, I mean, Yes, there are. So obviously there's there's a cream that you can put on and so there's no ingestion. So if somebody is worried about taking it inside of their body, they could just use the cream. We also have bath bombs, which are incredible for inflammation um, and relaxation. And then of course for the 80% of the people that come in the store take it in what we call a tincture, and a tincture is an oil that is used sublingually underneath your tongue. Um, that gets in our system within about 30 minutes, but it stays in our system from 8 to 12 hours, depending on the person. So it's a great way to keep a consistent amount in your body for a 24-hour period. Cecily, you've done a good job of clarifying the CBD. Let's talk about another option in your store, THC 3%. What okay. is that? Okay, and that's actually 0.03%, but yes. Bill gets excited. <laughs> <laughs> I um, failed math. All right. okay. that, that's okay. No worries. <laughs> I just don't want any extra visitors to my store that I don't need. Um, so there is a small amount of THC occurring in every single hemp plant. And so that, when the Hemp Act was passed, was also part of that act. And so if during the process, the small amount of THC is not removed, then you have what we call is a full spectrum product versus what we've been talking about, which was the broad spectrum product. Broad spectrum has zero. Uh, full spectrum has the up to 0.03% of the THC. And there can be some additional benefits depending on what you're looking for. Um, and sometimes some people get a better reaction with their receptors in their body with that. And that just comes either in our water-soluble form or our tincture form at this point. Well, let, let's talk about that. I know you gave some examples earlier, Cecily, but for our listeners, let's just, let's just paint a picture real clear. What maybe a few, three, four, five people out there listening and say, hey, maybe if you're dealing with this or experiencing this, it might be something worth coming in and, and giving a try. Sure, sure. So obviously pain <laughs> is probably our number one reason. Um, anxiety, stress, um, any sort of inflammatory situation that may be going on, you know, could possibly have a, a benefit. Um, the receptors that I spoke about, the CB2 receptors, are mostly located in our, in our gut and attached to our organs. So, you know, like an IBS, that sort of thing may benefit um, from CBD. I think she covered just about everybody out there. <laughs> I was thinking, who doesn't suffer from some of that, or most of it? 
Well, Cecily, thanks so much for coming on North Georgia Business Radio X. So somebody out there listening said, hey, I might, I might want to come learn more. I might want to try something. Where do they find you first? Where are you located? We're located at 3560 McEver Road, and that is between um, Brownsbridge and Monday Mill. And we're on the right-hand side by the Hall County Credit Union, if you know where that is. And is that the best the best way to that just is come by? The be- that is the best way to come by and meet us in person, and let's have a conversation. And I encourage you, if you can mention you heard this, we'll give you $10 off of your first purchase. Say Dr. Bill, all right? <laughs> There we go. Well, well Cecily, thanks so much for joining us today. Jeff Lawson, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. And Dr. Bill Lampton, it's been another good one. Very, very informative on two diverse topics. All right. We'll see you guys next week, same time, same place, where we're talking to more local businesses and the people behind them right here on North Georgia Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.